You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to this week's episode of Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Herd is hosted by me, Joe Hakeem, and I'm joined by Nick Britsky of Nick Drinks, Jason Leinert of the Detroit Optimist Society, and Vato of the Hungry Dudes. We are joined each episode by workers, leaders, and analysts of the hospitality industry. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like or dislike what you hear, write a review. We love hearing from our listeners. You can visit Herd at HerdPodcast.com, follow Herd on Twitter and Instagram at HerdPodcast, and like Herd Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and now here's this week's episode of Herd. sitting with Daniel Estrada, co-founder and CEO of 86 Repairs. 86 Repairs is a sponsor of this week's episode of Herd. You can learn more about 86 Repairs at 86repairs.com slash Herd. Daniel, what is 86 Repairs? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Um, 86 Repairs manages the whole repair and maintenance process for restaurant groups. So essentially, we act like your in-house facilities manager for a fraction of the cost. And so our goal really is to help restaurant operators save time and money by managing the repair process end-to-end. So when something goes down in the restaurant, a customer can text, call, or email us, and we manage the whole process of getting it fixed. And this is a 24-7 service? It is. It's 24-7. So if it's Friday night, your walk-in goes down, your GM can have one number to call, um, we will help your staff troubleshoot the issue, try to avoid a service visit if we can. That's one way we save customers a lot of money. Um, so simple things that we can help them fix, manage on their own. If you do need a service company to come out, then we have a vetted network of service companies that we work with. Or we can work with our customers' preferred vendors if you have a relationship with a company that you like. And then we'll dispatch them. We'll manage all the communication. We'll track everything, make sure they come, make sure the issue gets resolved. And we track everything in a, in a software platform um, so we can give you better insights about running your restaurant. That's great. To learn more about 86 Repairs, once again, go to 86repairs.com slash hurt. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Tonight, I am with the pastry chef at the Henry and Tria, Christine Anschutz. Christine, thank Hi. you for being here. Thanks. How are you doing? Awesome. Thank Great. you for having me. Thank you for being here. Okay, so let's start. I want to start with this um, amazing little bit of um, cinnamon roll. Not little. It's not little at all. That's a, that's a lie. It's pretty big. Um, the cinnamon roll. Uh, you told you told me before we started recording that this is something that you've I don't want to say mastered, but you've you've made your entire career. Yes. What is special about the cinnamon roll? Well, the cinnamon roll, uh, first of all, weighs in at about um, nine ounces. It's huge. Um, a lot of people share it um, as a as a breakfast appetizer, which is a new thing, and I really encourage it. And um, it really is a brioche dough. It's brioche, heavy egg, heavy butter. And um, it's filled with a lot of unsalted, beautiful, creamy butter and um, a lot of cinnamon. And I think it is the best cinnamon roll you can buy. <laughs> this is um, – it's it's pretty perfect. Uh, I'll be honest. Um, so, sorry. I'm talking my mouth. I've been making um, it for 15 years, so it better be good. <laughs> 15 years. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. So let's go back to that. So say 15 years. 
when did why did you start making cinnamon rolls? Well, um, every place I've ever been has had a breakfast program or been a patisserie that needed breakfast items. And uh, some of the cinnamon rolls were a little bit sad. They were a little bit small, and there's nothing fun about that. So I decided to um, to just create a cinnamon roll that um, you wouldn't forget. And, you know, people always talk about Cinnabon at the airport. And um, people always say Cinnabon who? Because it really is rich. And the cream cheese frosting has a lot of butter in it and very good Madagascar uh, vanilla. And I'm not shy about putting it on there. I don't drizzle it. I douse it. And I think that's the way you should do it. Let's not be shy about that. So I, I, I want to be – because I'm surprised at something. So cinnamon rolls are usually sickeningly, sickeningly sweet. Mm-hmm. This one is balanced. They're, Thank they're, you. They're, it's it's sweet to be <laughs> yeah. sure. I yeah. mean, it is definitely. It is. <laughs> um, but it pairs well with this bourbon, right? It does. So we're drinking a foolproof 1792. But, Absolutely. Um, but. Um, it's not like it doesn't have a cloying sweetness. Exactly. It, it, it's it's great. Thank you. I'm yeah. so glad you enjoy it. Um, okay, so 15 years been making cinnamon rolls. You've mm-hmm. been a pastry chef for 15 years. Yes. Okay. Yes. So before that, what, where where did where talk well, about your past? Sure. What? I was um, I had a child development degree from Adana University, okay. and um, I was working in the daycare scenario. Um, first as a teacher and um, with preschoolers and then um, as a manager. And I realized I was actually very bored with it. It's a very creative job, very challenging um, from a social aspect. Dealing with parents was just not sitting well with me. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that goes on with taking care of other people's children. And I really, I was always cooking since I was very small. My mom would have to She'd get up in the morning, I'd be cooking in front of the stove. I was maybe five or six. And I was said, Gina was a gas stove, right, Mom? And she was like, well, you seemed fine. So I was, she was fine with it. You made breakfast, like, for everybody. So we were okay. But I that, um, that young? Yes, very oh, young. Wow, okay. Very young. Right. I always just liked it. I didn't even think I needed to ask. You know what I mean? I just am hungry. It's time to eat. So, And my parents both cooked, especially my father. So I'm one of nine. So you didn't go out a wow, lot. You okay. ate in. You had a big Polish family. And um, so I, I started cooking then, and I said, no one thought to say to me, maybe you want to go to Schoolcraft. It's right around the corner. But thank goodness I didn't, because it led me to the French Pastry School in Chicago. When the time was right, it happened. And um, I was, you know, late 30s and one of the oldest students in the school. And a lot of people will start out really young, but I was a little bit older, and I loved it. I didn't miss a minute. I I wish when it was over, I wished I could have done it all again. It was really the school aspect. The school aspect loved it, Uh and um, that was in Chicago. And I actually came to that school because I was looking for a pan, (laughs) and I was looking for a pan to make a specific uh, just a dessert I had in mind. I'd never seen it, but. I was looking for a pan made in France, and instead of that pan coming up, the French pastry school came up, and within a week, I was enrolled. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was quick. <laughs> yeah. But it was right. It was The time was right. So, okay. So it, then you, you go through school. You love every bit of it. Yes. W- was it easy or difficult to find a job when you got out of school? It was easy okay. um, because I asked one of my pastry chefs who founded the school, Jackie Pfeiffer, if he would find me... Um, an internship at a very strict uh, French restaurant. I thought if I'm going to work for six months for free, I want to learn. And I want to learn under a chef who is ready to teach, not one who just needs another person in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And so we, I went to La Francais in Wheeling, Illinois, and, uh, you know, that had been around for decades. And it was very strict, beautiful uh, dining experience where you come in for two or three hours to have a dining experience. And I really love that. And I'm glad to see some of those things coming back to Detroit mm-hmm. because I love dining and I love to think of people as guests and giving them a beautiful experience, you know, where they leave not full, but uh, really enriched. Yeah. And so uh, that was luckily my first foray into formal dining was a very nice restaurant under uh, Roland Liccioni, who was my chef at the time. And um, so anyway, it was um Wonderful. It was six months unpaid of uh, working. So, and, so you yeah. staged for six months, essentially. Is yes. what, okay. <laughs> I was his intern for six wow. months. Okay. Actually, two weeks in, he asked if I would like to be hired. And I said, no, I, I can luckily afford to do this for six months. And once you hire me, that relationship changes. Good it does. Point. That's it, a good point. It changes. Mm-hmm. And he was like, literally like scratching his head, like, I'm willing to pay you. And I said, well, I'm also bringing in desserts that I'm, I'm trying out at home. And your critique is, you know, you, you, you're willing to do it because I'm here for free. Yeah. Like he almost felt like he owed me a little bit of his time too. And if he had started paying me, it would have changed. 100%. You know? And I, I just said, no, I'm going to do it. So I worked there for six months and then I, um, and that restaurant closed shortly after for good. Be- because you left. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that's it. I'm sure that's it. But um, it, it was the end of really the era for a little while of that that kind of dining experience. Uh-huh. I mean, it really was changing that climate of eating. Mm-hmm. People want to get in. They want to get out. And it was sad for me because, you know, I loved that that still existed. But it was it was rare. So you, you used the word strict uh, more, mm-hmm. uh, more than once. Mm-hmm. Why was that important to you? Um, I think it's. I think boundaries are good in a lot of ways. And um, I, I was raised in a Catholic family. and went to Catholic school mm-hmm. and graduated from Catholic college. So mm-hmm. grade school, high school, college, I love it. I, I think that it, for me, it's a scaffolding to what I'm going to learn, what, I'm, what I need to learn, what the expectations, they're very clear. And sometimes now in, in kitchens, they're not so clear. So there's room for more failure. You know, if you don't know what's expected, you're guessing a lot. Guessing isn't good. I I think that you need to know what's expected of you in the kitchen. And it it creates a a nice mentor-student situation. Uh And people learn more. And people want to learn. Most people do. I mean, you find the ones that don't want to learn really quickly. They fight it. (laughs) So can can we talk about this a little bit more? Because I'm fascinated by this. So (laughs) the the mentor relationship, what do you see happening now that's different? Well, I find it rare that you find a student that comes in that doesn't have an ego. Oh, uh, okay. They already think they're a chef because they went to school. Uh-huh. When I was in school, our, our uh, chefs told us, and I feel like they are just the most wonderful chefs, said to us, first of all, you're not a pastry chef until someone hires you mm-hmm. as one. And secondly, the better you get, the more you owe everyone around you to teach. You need to be passing this on. You know, these are skills, these are traditions, and you need to be passing that on. And I loved that. That school was exactly where I needed to be. It was the right school for me. And they were ladies and gentlemen teaching us. And they never stopped being that. And it really was a great a great way for all of us students to uh, to be created into wonderful chefs who wanted to go out and pass along all this information instead of saying, wow, look at me. I'm amazing. You know, I'm great. I do all these wonderful things in the kitchen. You, There's really ego ruins it, I feel like. Do you think that that 
starting school in your 30s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that the students that were younger than you had the same takeaway as you? Did you talk to them about this? Um, no, we didn't talk about it a lot, but it's, most of my class, they're not pastry chefs. No. Oh, okay. They're not. A lot of people who go to culinary school don't stick with it. They don't, they don't stick with it. It's, they don't stick with pastry? They don't stick, they don't, with, they don't stick with culinary. I mean, okay. Think of how many people go through culinary school who are not cooking right now. And um, I think that when you go in, you can become really hardened and kind of angry. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, there are a lot of very angry chefs right now because it is hard. You need to create, for me, I needed to create an atmosphere in my department. Forget everything else where we are happy, where we want to be there, where you aren't calling in. I mean, knock on wood, my employees don't call in. You know, they we know each other. We know about each other. We respect each other's skills. And we're always – I'm learning from them all the time and they are learning from me. And, I mean, I feel so fortunate to have who I have working for me because they are kind people. And in my interview process, I stress it. If you act like an asshole, you won't stay. And, you know, besides – your skills have to be a given. You have to have some skills. Right. But after that, you really need – need to be a nice person because I won't be miserable at work uh-huh. and I won't let anyone else be miserable either. You know, if you're a miserable person, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Right. You're going to be the one that doesn't look like they belong here. So very important for me to have a nice atmosphere. And we do. <laughs> so after your internship, where did you end up? Um, well, I did take a hiatus for a little while. I happened to get divorced at that time and I had two teenage daughters and being gone at night wasn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. So, um, I went back to teaching, and I did that for two years. And then an alumnus of the French Pastry School, Stacy Neville, was opening Stacy Cakes in the suburbs, and she said, "I need Stacy Cakes. Yes. I like that." Uh-huh. <laughs> she said, "I need someone to help me test recipes because my husband is building me a, a shop right now." And so for about three weeks, we tested recipes, and then we opened full force. And I worked there for the, a full year, and I was I filled the case every day. You, you tested recipes for only three weeks? Yes. <laughs> That's it. And then we opened. She had a lot of them. She had, okay, okay. She had idea, and so did I. <laughs> yeah. We both had ideas. Uh-huh. And um, she was a really nice cake decorator. I mean, her cakes were beautiful, but maybe not wholly committed to that endeavor. It, she ended up selling it to someone else who was even better and amazing and still owns the shop now. It's called Whisk in okay. Wakanda, Illinois. Uh-huh. But, um, and I'm still friends with all of that staff. I right. mean, you know, you, you find the people who, uh, you find the nice people and you right. stick with them. <laughs> So then after that? Um, After that, um, I moved back um, and I was the pastry chef at Maggiano's in Troy. That was when I moved back from Illinois. Uh My kids both went off to college and I said I'd like to go back home. I'm from Detroit, grew Uh up in Detroit. And and so then I was at Maggiano's for only about six months when um, uh, David Karras, another pastry chef um, at Quality Kosher Catering, found me and said – do you know anyone who'd like to come work with me? And I said, yes, it's me. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> uh-huh. And so because uh, Maggiano's is actually a very nice chain restaurant. There's only one here and they do everything from scratch, pastry included. But I was it. I was the only pastry chef. So that's a huge volume restaurant. Yeah, I was going to say that there's a lot of people going <laughs> through that place, right? Yes. Okay. And everything is from scratch. Every <sighs> dough, every sauce, the ganache, the sauce, every really? single thing is from scratch in that in that kitchen. Lots of respect for that company. And but, but it was but, it was big and it was very demanding at very low um I'd say reward. Yeah. So I left. I left and went to Quality Kosher. Okay. And I was there for three and a half years. Very Very cool place to learn. I mean, my skill set leaving there was really enriched because we couldn't use any dairy 
at all. Oh, right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so like these cinnamon rolls had to change, right? Uh-huh. Because there's no butter. It's all margarine or, you know, I learned to work with nut milks and soy milk a lot. Um, and it, it helped my repertoire because now I know how to how to wing it when I don't have dairy available to me uh-huh. and still make it delicious. But um, and also culturally, I learned so much, you know, and um, I, I don't think we've talked anything <laughs> of kosher cooking um kind of explain so dairy is um against the religion well, or what they can't have dairy but when you are doing a catering company you um need to decide whether you're going to be meat primary or dairy primary because the two cannot exist in the same time frame in your digestive tract as an orthodox jew you can't have a cheeseburger never <laughs> wow. ever ever and, wow. um, you know, they learned a way to make like turkey bacon and smoke it. And it was actually really nice. Oh, yeah. okay. And um, but so, of course, no pork products. But the dairy was my primary challenge. When I started in my interview, my boss said to me, how scary is that for you? And I said, it sounds kind of neat as a challenge. I'm up for it. Mm-hmm. And um, and it did work for three and a half years until I left and and. Uh, you know what, somewhere else. <laughs> and was that somewhere else to Henry? Or? Um, it wasn't. I went to okay. Sava's in Ann Arbor for a short ah, okay. stint. Okay. Yeah, short stint, uh, three months only. They had no pastry program in house. Okay. But they wanted to switch from a catering company, which was closing, uh-huh. to doing it all in house. And oh. uh, they literally didn't have a table or a mixer or anything. So I literally ordered every single item that went into her kitchen and set up um, an entire pastry department. Which was me, <laughs> one wow. one one employee, me. But um, I left after only three months to go to the Henry. So you, you were in, you went from being an island at Mangiano's, yes. to <laughs> quality kosher, where you were probably part of a team, part of a team. Okay, yes, part of three, part of a part of three. Okay, <laughs> and then back to being an island, yes, for a brief period of time. And now yes. you're now you're at Henry, the Henry, right? Exactly. Where you're probably part of a pretty big team, right? Uh, the team. The team in general is um, is very large because we have a savory team as well. But okay. pastry, there are four of us. There are only four. There are normally five of us. We have an uh, an older um, gentleman who is amazing and a gift to us. But he is in Beirut right now, and he's gone. He always goes for about a week or a month, so he's gone right now. So there are we're down one very vital person. Uh, you know, doing our job. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, normally there are five of us. So. You were Mangiano's was big volume, right? Huge. So compare that to what you're doing now at the Henry. Is is the volume even? Cl- it's bigger. It's bigger, bigger because we have banquets, and uh-huh. um, luckily we are very busy, and we are now in what is kind of the the new age wedding season. You know, it used to be summer. It is not anymore. It is fall and winter. That's the wedding season here in Michigan. Fall and winter? Yes, because in the summer, really? no one can come to your wedding. We vacation. <laughs> in, yeah. this, in this state, we vacation in June, July, and August, and uh-huh. no one's coming. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So now we are very busy. And our weddings are big. Uh, you know, we're in Dearborn, so a lot of our communities are very big families. So they're, you know, three, four, five, six hundred you know, person wedding. So that's a very big wedding. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of desserts. Enormous. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, and um, because Dearborn is like the largest um, population of Middle Eastern yes. families outside of the Middle East. Yes. Have you built in a, a, like Middle Eastern style desserts into your repertoire? Yes. And we, we were really, we've been really lucky to have um, my night baker, uh, Sam, is oh. also from the same region as Ahmed. And um, so they bring to us 
So such both richness. Middle East, Middle yes. Eastern. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. They bring to us, uh, you know, uh, very traditional desserts. And sometimes they will during certain holidays that they know more about than I do. They uh, will make all of their very neat uh, desserts made with a lot of cornmeal and almonds and pistachios. And it's so wonderful to learn from them. These desserts I've never heard of. You know, you think you've heard of it. You haven't. There's so much. <laughs> you haven't. I'm like, what in the world is that? It's delicious. But yeah. anyway, um, yeah, we're very lucky. So talk a little bit more about the, the, the volume and the um, – because there's also a restaurant at the Henry. So there is. Tria is there, correct? Yes. Okay. So you have Tria and you do the dessert menu there? We do. That's the fine dining restaurant. So that has a more formal um, dessert menu. Uh-huh. And um, – and we normally have five items on it, plated, um, you know, composed desserts. Uh-huh. And then we also offer something a lot of places don't, which is a plate of minis, which are mini versions of a lot of our desserts. And so if you don't really know what you want, you can get like one, three or five little bits and bites of things, like a, a small creme brulee, a small souffle, a small, uh, you know, lemon tart instead of ordering one big, you know, uh, souffle or a yeah. big, you know, chocolate cake. You can just get a few little bites. That's a great idea. It is. Um, so the uh, the menu at the at Tria does that reflect anything that happens in the di- in the catering or the the hall situation? Definitely, because okay. um, we do a chocolate cake, and I have to say that chocolate cake is not my favorite thing. And I really didn't want to put like a colossal anything on my menu because it's not my style. I like something a little more simple where you eat it and you don't hate me for it. But um, the chocolate cake is giant, which came about on Father's Day because I got in at like maybe 7 in the morning and said, I really need to do something for these dads. I want something more masculine. A lot of my desserts, I have to admit, are a little bit feminine. So uh, just more refined and smaller. And so I made a giant chocolate cake made with um, made with coffee and it has a stout ice cream made with to- with toffee in it and we made some caramel corn and it's a giant cake. It's beautiful, but it's giant. So now we do a tiny version of that for plated desserts for banquets and just a tiny scoop. It's I think it's beautiful and, and we work a lot with Ford, uh, Ford Motor Company uh-huh. from all around the world and when they come in, they want something different. They've been eating with us for years, some of these you know gentlemen and women and so we just started um, putting smaller versions of those nicer plated desserts into their repertoire. How often do you change the dessert menu? Um, seasonally, for sure. Okay. I have some staples that need to stay. Creme brulee has to stay, and I want it to stay. I think uh-huh. it's a beautiful dessert. Souffle will always be there. Um, and then everything else can change. <laughs> everything else changes seasonally or when it uh, wanes in popularity. A lot of our guests are back again and again, and I want to give them a fresh experience. So, you know, I'll come up with something new or I just have a taste for something. So I'll, I'll make that. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, we really are lucky. We are considered an autograph collection hotel with Marriott. And because of that, we are allowed to change our menu, experiment. And that is rare. If you are working for a company as big as the Marriott, often they will dictate what goes on their menu. Like Maggiano's, I couldn't change anything on there if I wanted to. Not for a second, not a teaspoon. But here, I can change it whenever I want. So, you know, that's a creative, you know, process that I enjoy. And I can exercise it there. And I can teach better through that. You know, if someone else is writing your recipes, I mean, what is anyone learning? Can you, Okay, so I, I want to go back to that. So th- this p- part of Mangiano's that – so you're handed down recipes. You are. So where does that come from? And Corporate. corporate. <laughs> There's a corporate chef who writes everything. And if you saw a recipe handed down to you and you didn't agree with it, you just grinned and bared it? 
You did. Um, um, their, uh, their ganache was so contrived and so without purpose difficult. There was so many. It's so easy to make a beautiful silky ganache. And I just kept saying, I want to change this. But when I work somewhere, I really just respect the people I'm working for. Maggiano's, that's your recipe. You hired me to make it and I'm going to make it when I don't want to make it so badly that I want to change and I'm leaving. So I did. Uh (laughs) I did. And um, I did leave because it was uh, stifling. You know, yeah. it was a steady paycheck, but it was stifling. And as a chef, I learned a lot about uh, being on schedule and producing at a high quality, at high volume. I mean, that that was invaluable for me to learn. And I think I was there because I needed to learn that. So the so you go from that to the the Henry where you are creating the recipes yourself. Yes. It's glorious. Yes. <laughs> and and is, it, is there any sense of community when the recipes are created or are these your recipes? Well, um, I have an assistant, um, Amy Soker, right now, and she's amazing. And she is the most open human being I've ever worked with. She will um, listen to criticism and she will give it and I welcome it. And she also is very experimental. And if she wants to try something, please do. Please do. She did put um, she did a Bailey's cheesecake around, you know, March and um, and it was delicious and sold really well. And I was just really proud of her because it was the first time she'd ever done that for a restaurant. And um, I wanted to do that. I mean, I feel like I need to groom her to to have my job at some point, uh, you know, whether it's here at the Henry or there at another place, because I may want to grow. I want her to grow. I don't want to keep her if she'd like to go. And I, I think it's part of my job to get everybody to the next level they can go to. So when she made that cheesecake and you're making it for a hotel restaurant, mm-hmm. what, is it just a cheesecake or does she have to build the recipe to be reproducible over? Absolutely. And it also needs to be not just a cheesecake because we do multi-component uh, plated desserts. You know, there needs to be a sauce with it. There needs to be chocolate components with it. It needs to be beautiful and reproducible. You know, I need to make it off of her recipe, even if she's not there. It needs to be clear. And that those are all skills you really need to learn as you grow as a pastry chef. You know, it's not just that sounds good today, but can you food cost it? Can you reproduce it? Could you could you write it out and and explain it? And our customer is going to love it. I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? To sell. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we will be right back. Uh, we're taking a quick break from our spon- with our uh, sponsor. With we'll be right back with Christine and I'm sitting with Daniel Estrada, co-founder and CEO of Eighty Six Repairs. 86 Repairs is a sponsor of this week's episode of Herd. You can learn more about 86 Repairs at 86repairs.com slash Herd. Daniel, last time we talked about how what 86 Repairs is, how does 86 Repairs work? Sure. So anytime there's a repair or maintenance issue in the restaurant, um, our restaurant group customers can text, call, or email us. Basically, the whole staff has access to getting in touch with us. We give them one number to call. Uh, for any repair needs. And then we manage the whole process for them. So let's say it's Friday night, your walk-in goes down, it's not temping, uh, your GM calls us, we'll walk through trying to solve that problem with them over the phone or via text message. Um, we'll look for simple things, you know, resetting circuit breakers, reset switches on compressors, defrosting stuff, you know, whatever we can do to help the team avoid a service visit in the first place and avoid that cost of having a service company come out and fix something. We'll do that first. If they need a service company to come out, we have a whole network of vendors that we work with that we vetted that we know are good. 
you know, here in the Detroit area and in all the other markets where we have customers. And then we'll manage the dispatching process. We'll communicate with everybody, keep everyone in the loop. So if you're a director of operations or a district manager, you know exactly what's going on anytime with that repair. And we make sure it gets done and gets done right. Is 86 Repairs a nationwide company? Uh, not quite. So we're in 15 states right now. Uh, we've been growing very quickly. Um, just over this past summer, we've expanded into 12 new states. Um, and our customers love the offering. It's been really rewarding to see how much time and money we save them. Great. To learn more about 86 Repairs and to know if it's in your location, uh, go to 86repairs.com slash hurt. And I am back with uh, the pastry chef at the Henry and Tria, Christine Anschutz. So, Christine, before we took the break, we were talking about um, uh, mentioning food costs and stuff like that. I, I'm fascinated by this that aspect of of culinary. Um, is, do you guys have a food cost goal for your desserts? Um, sure, about twenty five percent. Twenty five percent. So, if a dessert, you're really excited about a dessert, right? Mm-hmm. And it's clocking in at say thirty five. Mm-hmm. You cut a component. What do you do? Um, you could just uh, keep every component and make it a little bit smaller, make the portion okay. smaller, which is really I love because at the end of our meals, which can be rich, mm-hmm. um, you don't need a giant dessert. No. We recommend sharing just that chocolate cake or the souffle. Everything else is pretty tiny. Um, you know, we're not looking to give you a Cheesecake Factory experience at all, ever. It, it, even that chocolate cake makes me think of it, and I it's the reason it's not my favorite. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, people love it, and as long as they love it, I'll keep it. But yeah, we, we can scale it down. Okay. So, and I want to, this food cost discussion, I think probably goes away when you're in part of a competition uh, mm-hmm. the past couple of weeks, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. the Michigan's, I'm, I'm going to, this is a long title. So <laughs> correct me if I get this wrong at all. Michigan's Pastry Chef of the Year uh, presented by the American Culinary Federation, Michigan Chef de Cuisine Association. That's correct. Got it. Good. <laughs> so um, I imagine that food costs aren't a component of a competition like that, or are they? Um, not particularly, but in this one, they were not particularly high either. Um, the ingredients we were required to use uh-huh. were, were not on the high end. Um, I think the chef of the year might have had more of a <laughs> trouble with that when they were working with fish uh-huh. But this year. But um, with us, it, the mandatory three ingredients were blueberries, walnuts and maple syrup so nothing too crazy you know uh, really i mean the walnut for me my least favorite nut so that was the challenge in that <laughs> i was like oh really okay fine you know we can work with it but um so it wasn't it was not too bad um i did an ice cream that had goat cheese in it which was really the most expensive component out of everything okay so mm-hmm. what when you're given a when you're take part in a competition like this mm-hmm. Do they do like the the chop style uh, Food Network chop style kind of um, competition where it's like okay you you have these three ingredients and it has to be gluten free or is there any any curveball thrown at you as well? Just the time frame. Um, okay. you, need, you had one hour. You had one hour to complete it, including spinning your ice cream if you had one. Mm-hmm. And we all three of us did have one, uh, and that really was the biggest uh, a big challenge because normally I I spin an ice cream and I cure it at least overnight. Yeah. Um, just to set it. Um, it's much easier to canal or to spoon or to scoop, and and in this case it it um it wasn't it was not cooperating for any of us the way we would have liked to, but it's because that's not the proper technique as one hour. It's not. So we were forcing technique and um that's a challenge and kind of fun too so an hour doesn't seem like very much time at all especially if you're going to make an ice cream and we're baking and we're, <laughs> and we're baking ba- and we're making sauces and i was spinning sugar so i really needed wow. to um i needed to be super focused and organized and there's always the element of being sanitary while you're cooking uh-huh. and um 
that was of utmost concern because in this competition you had shot or you had well they were they were all chefs who were judging you, but you had several in the kitchen while you while you produced your dessert watching strictly your kitchen behavior, your etiquette, your sanitation, your organization, and you would have two critiques at the end. One would be from the kitchen uh, staff who would give you a critique on your kitchen behavior. And, um, and what, then, what does that mean? Um, were you clean? Were okay. You, were you sanitary? Were you organized? Did you look lost? You know, did you look like you didn't know what you were doing? Um, huh. uh, d- you know, were your ingredients measured out correctly? There were certain things you could bring prepared. Okay. It really nothing prepared, but like even my, uh, my figs or my dates couldn't be chopped. I had to chop them there. If you had fruit, it had to come in whole. If you had purees, they had to come in unchanged. Uh, so we had those kinds of restrictions. Um, you couldn't have any part of a sauce completed. You had to create the sauce there from scratch. What did you make? I made um, a fig, a flourless fig and walnut cake, and it had dried blueberries that we did at the Henry that we dried ourselves. That was allowed. That was allowed. Okay. I mean, they were dehydrated. Yeah. You could buy them, but we chose to do them ourselves uh-huh. because I didn't want to take them all the way down to, to raisin form. Right. I wanted to keep them a little bit plump. So you can control that, which is the wonderful part of cooking is you can control things that you thought, you know, you think that is how a dried blueberry looks, like a little kernel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't need to look like that and it doesn't need to taste like that. So we controlled that. And then I did a goat cheese ice cream, blueberry goat cheese ice cream. And um, I did um, a ganache made with um, – really, I made it into a glaze. So I thinned it out with maple syrup and 62% Valrhona chocolate. It was you know super silky and beautiful. And I'm, I love it that they challenged me that way with the maple syrup because I will make it again that way. It was so beautiful. Uh-huh. And um, I did a lemon verbena and blueberry sauce with uh, verbena that I got from – uh, Chef Tim Enfield's um, garden, which we have at the Henry. It's a beautiful garden. He's a master gardener and quite he, talented. He's the chef at Tria or he at is. the Henry? Or? He is. Okay. Both. Both. He's, okay. the, he's the executive chef in the hotel for okay. everything. Got it. He's my boss and he um, has a wonderful garden. Uh-huh. It has just a plethora of things that we pull from all the time. And um, so I, I pulled that from the garden and, you know, it's kind of hard to get otherwise. So I'm really fortunate. So at what point – so you learned about this – uh, nomination when? Um, just a few weeks prior, about three weeks prior. Three weeks prior. Right. So you had three weeks to prepare. Correct. Okay. Yes. <laughs> You're working in an incredibly high volume hotel and restaurant. Yes. Right. How does preparation happen? To I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it was. Um, it. I do love to prepare a plated dessert. Uh-huh. I really love it. I love the com- the composition. I I, I love uh, you know putting flavors up against one another, and I really like introducing things maybe you haven't had before. I mean that's uh-huh. that's the fun of it, right? I mean I don't want to go in and make a dessert you've already had somewhere else, right? And so I um I started playing around with flavors, and probably in like two days I had the dessert I thought I would enter with, and um. You know, I'm really supposed to be timing myself, okay? I have one hour to produce it. You have 15 minutes to to kind of get your station set up. So I literally did the timing. I could get through the 15 minutes, get everything set up, and I never once in eight tries got through an entire hour without being interrupted. So it's 15 minutes and then, and then 60 minutes of cooking. So it's not 45. It's not 15 and 45. It isn't. It's 15 it and isn't. 60. Okay. Right. And so you that's literally – you can't touch your food at this point. The, er, the initial 15, you can't touch your food. You're literally plugging in your machines, oh, getting your ice bath, okay. um, taking okay. out your utensils, setting up your KitchenAid, uh, plugging in your immersion blender. That's all you can do. And – um so I'm pretty quick with that. I mean, you know, I tried to pare it down too, to try to be smart and to not make it too intricate. I mean, that's just, you know, sabotage. So I thought I'm going to make it 
really simple. Simpler uh, ingredients, simpler tools. You know, I don't want to use a mixer for everything. I only want to use it once. You know, I want to and then get rid of it. So it, it's easier to be clean when you're simple. Uh-huh. And so I um I, I I really do like to be clean in the kitchen too. Everyone in my kitchen knows that. You know, when I took this job, I spent two weeks just cleaning, sanitizing, organizing before I cooked a single thing in that kitchen because I I don't like mess and I don't like disorganization. I think it. Everyone thanked me for it. I mean, they all said, I'm so glad you came and did this because now we work so much better. And um, I mean, that's just to me that simple. I've done that everywhere I've gone. I mean, you need it to be clean. So anyway, uh, I felt like that was my strong suit, that organization, that sanitation. And my critique bared that out that they they said that. And I was really glad because I want the dish to be nice, but I also like kitchen etiquette. I do. Uh Going back to the strictness. I love that. Uh Let's all behave properly and things will go a lot smoother here. So um so I, I did put the the dish together, and um, it was at Dorsey School in um, I think it's Mount Clemens. Okay, and um, and uh, the oven wasn't correctly calibrated for three fifty because in eight times my cake came out in twelve minutes, popped out beautiful, and it was still wasn't cooked at twelve minutes. Oh so no! I gave it two more minutes, and it was cooked, but I was using a flexi pan. If you've ever used those, they're like a rubberized mold and um i was so excited because when it comes out normally it looks so beautiful and it wasn't so beautiful but it still tasted great <laughs> they even said what do you think of your your dish so you get your kitchen critique and then you get the judges critique who've tasted it mm-hmm. and they've tasted it blind they don't know who's made it they get your recipes but they don't know who made it so they eat it and you go in and they say what did you think of it and i said well it's never it's never it's looked better, but it's never tasted better. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's the truth of it. You know, whether they liked every component or not might just be between them and I. But I say I think it was it the taste was beautiful. <laughs> did did you see what your compet like your fellow competitors made? I did. Okay. I did. Mm-hmm. And what did you I mean ultimately as humans we compare ourselves to one another. Did you compare yourself to what Absolutely. they made? Absolutely. Um I I just thought that um what I wanted to do, and the reason I did the sugar curl, sort of simple, but also um, I think in to be the pastry chef of the year, you need to differentiate yourself. You need to do something special. And so while not magnificent, I thought I needed to do it. And I had a friend of mine cut dowels for me. <laughs> I went to Home Depot and got a couple of different size PVC pipes and had them cut them in six-inch you know, length so I could have the right diameter of sugar curl. And I practiced that you know, eight times. And honestly, we don't do a lot of sugar work because um, – it's not really practical in a hotel my size to make all your sugar curls. I mean, even holding them is hard. They they like to break down. I mean, sugar likes to crystallize. It's just its nature. So uh, I just thought I would add that in as something special on top. And they did like it. You know, I mean, I think you do need to do something like that. You need to do some sugar work, chocolate work, something special. I mean, we could all bake a cake. We better. Uh-huh. Right. We be- I mean, right. we, we better be able to do that. And we really should all be able to make an ice cream and I just wanted something on there that maybe they weren't going to see, and I was grateful that I did it because it did. I th- I thought it I thought it was beautiful, and I do love sugar work. So, so if you win, what's next? Well, then you go to regionals, and that will be in Texas, and you have a three hour time frame instead to make a three tier cake, and you do a plated dessert, and you do a candy like a bonbon. So it's wow. see, it's 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 a huge challenge, and um, yeah, <laughs> it, this is like uh like. The Great British Baking Show in, in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. I mean, and that that challenge would really challenge your organization. It really would. Uh-huh. You know, and you do get an assistant there. Here, you're not allowed anyone helping you. 
for this hour. And really, there wouldn't have been room for it. You know, it's pretty simple. It's one plated dessert. I mean, you right. make four of them, one for show, three to eat. And um, yeah, so that's that's huge. The but, other one. <laughs> but but the 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 key thing about the I mean, you're making four plated desserts, but they have to be identical, right? They do. They yeah. do. <laughs> and you're probably critique on the nature of how close together they look. Exactly. And you also have um, I chose a black plate because I'm in love with the black plate and I haven't I don't have I didn't have one. So I ordered them. And um, one of their critiques was just be careful not to touch it as you're plating it because every little thing shows oh. up. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with every single critique because they were right. Uh-huh. And um, and I um, and I. I, I learned from it. Right. And it's really, I love to learn. I love to learn. I love to be taught. And, you know, I still take classes. I still go in other people's kitchens and say, show me how you did that. Because, I mean, you have to keep learning. Right. You know, I mean, I learned that in school. One of my chefs said, I read every night. And he already had his MOF, which is, in France is like means you're the best of the best in pastry chefs. It takes a year to prepare for that test. And he passed it. And he's still learning. And, the, you know, what a great role model for me and for all of us, you know, to no matter how good you are, you're not done. You're never done. You need to keep learning. And and I'm always looking for mentors, always looking for someone doing something cool in the city, which there are many. This is an amazing city right now. I mean, everyone is just like delving into this culinary world. We're so lucky. Yeah. So you moved, you moved back how long ago? About five and a half years. Five and a half years. So, mm-hmm. I mean, everything was kind of taking hold at that point, right? It was. It had yeah. changed a lot in 13 years. I've been gone for 13 years and it was the right 13 years to be gone. <laughs> right. I came back and said, oh, my goodness, there is so much to do downtown and I'm downtown a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, for so sure. Do, do you have any um, pastry chefs that you want to call out that you really appreciate what they're doing right now? Well, um, I, I my favorite is Ben Robeson. I think he's great. And David Karras, my, my boss at uh, – at uh, Quality Kosher was a great mentor because, you know what, he's a nice person. Uh-huh. He's graceful. He's a gentleman. And I love nothing more than that. And uh, I mean, in any way in life, I, I mean, I really just it's rare now, unfortunately. And I when I'm in the presence of someone who can do what I do, but better and be kind about it. Amazing. And he shares, you know, I plated desserts for him recently. Well, not recently, probably a year ago. He did all desserts. The entire meal is desserts. And I was honored that he would have me even touch his food. I mean, that's how I feel when I admire somebody that you'd even let me near it. You know, you trust me with it. And so it's weird to be in that position now with some people who feel that way about me. I can't believe it. Why why do you think kindness is such a rare quality? Because ego, God, the ego is so big in the kitchen. But, and but I, we're just making food. It's not – we're exactly. not saving lives. Well, we do put a lot of ourselves into our food. Of course. For sure. I can feel it sometimes when my chef will give me a critique and it's his job and it, it's his place. Uh-huh. I still feel myself getting a little defensive. I'm like, calm down. It's – you know, he's right sometimes. Yeah. Not always. I mean, you know, there are areas that I know more about something because pastry is my thing and he's more savory. But I, I – I mean, really, you just can't let your ego get the best of you. And it's it's a lot. It's in a lot of kitchens. I mean, and the other thing that kind of it rears its head when we talk about ego are, are like the, the ability of people to review your desserts that, that mm-hmm. or, or, or food in general or your restaurant right. as a whole that, that may not know a percent of yes. what goes into it all. Do you read those reviews or, or like part, part, we mm-hmm. – so – you know, as people know, I, I run Ackroyd's and and Ackroyd's Bakery, and we um we get a lot of reviews, mm-hmm. and um some of them are just some of them are mean spirited sometimes. Well, the mean spirit is the thing I tried to get away from, and when a review comes in or a critique, whether it's a customer or a family member or your boss, 
and it's made honestly and it comes at you with kindness. Like, I just think you should know that um, one guest, I had done this blueberry panna cotta dessert and I loved it. It was beautiful. But one of the customers said, and really, the dessert should have been off that week and we were running it a few more days. And he said, I had it before and this time it felt like it had lost some flavor. He was right. Uh, he was okay. right. You know, you count the dessert, you astute, apologize, yeah. and you just say, he was right. Mm-hmm. And I was wrong in that position. Get it off the menu right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it, it's not that big of a deal. Don't lose sleep over it. Just do what's right, you know. And um, too many people, their ego makes it hard. And, you know, when I first came back here and I was trying to network a little bit, see who's who here, what's happening, um, I helped out a few dinners. It was a, a great way, and I recommend it for young chefs to that's a great way to network be free (laughs) be free be free of any cost to a chef who's putting on a pop-up okay they don't need another cost associated help out you're going to meet a lot of cool people and um yeah they uh i i ran into some people who it was almost like you can't i'm a little bit older than a lot of the chefs uh doing these things i'm 52 and they um say they're in their 20s or 30s i did feel a little bit like you're not cool enough to sit at our table and i thought you know what Thank you for showing me who you are. They weren't kind to me. They weren't welcoming to me. And I just have avoided them in this industry. I mean, they're just some of those people. And it's just – it's not just Detroit. It's in the culinary world. It's in the creative world. You know, us as artists, and we are, um, we are we're sensitive. And we, you know, we can have a little bit of ego. I've tried to get rid of it. It is my goal to just cook – Cook for the people and, and and cook to teach and to be available to people who want to learn and to be open to learning. And I, I just feel like um, those people I just avoid, you know, and you can do that really easily. Just don't go there. <laughs> just don't go to their place. I, I don't understand the, the, the logic of not just accepting help. Or being thankful for someone to come in and help, you know, be part of your kitchen, right? And 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 to make it something as as meaningless as age, um, mm-hmm. it doesn't make much sense to me, right? Yeah, and that might be my sensitivity, but whatever their reason was, it wasn't nice. You know what I mean? It just wasn't nice. Uh-huh. And I may think maybe that goes back to my preschool, you know, teaching where I've just really it's just not nice. You know, be nice or leave. And if they can't be nice, then sometimes I just have to leave. Well, I was yeah. going so I was <laughs> going to bring that up with with your past as a, as a preschool mm-hmm. teacher. And there are times when that three or four five year old puts you in your place. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't know they're doing it, but but it kind of hits you, and you're like, oh shit, that that kid just like you know, mm-hmm. like drops drops some real knowledge on me. Absolutely, um, I think that has to be helpful in the whole ego department, where where kind of like <laughs> because if a five year old can, can put you in your place, mm-hmm. you know, we should be able as adults to put ourselves in our places and understand that like you know, it's not that serious. Right. It's good to be able to put your own yourself in in your own place. You know, it is. It's good to be able to scold yourself and say, you know what, you're being really sensitive right now. It's not that big a deal. Calm down. Go take a drink. Maybe go out to your car for a minute and come back in and reassess. And I do have to do that because our volume is big sometimes and I get a little bit overwhelmed. And when you're teaching, as I have one young guy in my um, kitchen who's learning, but he's learning and that's a process you have to be patient with. And I sometimes get frustrated and I think, you know what, that is not his problem. That is yours. Be a better teacher. You know, get in there and find another way to explain it. If he's not getting it, partly your fault too. So, um we really have to go in there open to being wrong and open to be the learner, the student uh-huh. still. I don't care where I am, you know. Hopefully I'll be cooking the rest of my life and I'll always feel this way. What does a busy night at the Henry look like? 
Well, <laughs> you are going nonstop. Like, um, we have a wedding this weekend, a fairly big, well, 300 people. Uh-huh. Which is moderate. That's not huge. Okay. But, you know, you know that you're doing maybe a sweet table. So we normally do, say, five pieces of mini desserts per person. So that's 1,500 mini desserts. Five pieces per person? Yes. Really? That's standard for us. Five really? pieces, yes. Wow. Yes. For lunch, sometimes three. Just people aren't big appetite. But it's, it's your daughter's wedding. You're eating. You yeah, know? that's true. It's a, you okay. know, it's a celebration and we understand that. And then you might have stations. Like we have what we call a chocolate sommelier station. So we have, you know, chocolate, you know, we have ganache. And then we also do um, cookies that we're baking there for you right at, right on the minute. And then we also are doing, you know, maybe some lava cakes for you. We're also baking there for you. And then we have everything you could possibly dip in those things. I'm not a, so, wait a second. Yeah. I, I, need, I need to roll back here. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. so you're saying a la minute bake for you. So people yeah. are standing there and yes. you're baking. Yes. Really? Yes. With with small ovens that we're baking for you right there. No way. Yeah. So, uh, for instance, this weekend we have one. And so I will work the line that night so that Amy, my assistant, will go work that station. So that day en- ends up being a long day. That day will probably be 14 hours long because I know I need to be there in the morning to make sure that the prep is going well. And um, then I also know that I need to stay so that Amy can work that. And I'll work the line, which is the, the fine dining line. I'll uh-huh. work the dessert line. Someone has to work that, that knows that you can't just pass that to anybody. So wait, let's go back for a second. Four people? Yes. <laughs> Four <laughs> yes. people doing a 300-person wedding and, and the line for, for the fine dining Correct. concept. What Correct. about room service? Room service too. Okay. Yes. Four yes. people. Yes. Okay. And my night baker isn't even there until eleven. He comes in from eleven to seven a.m. And you know he has two nights off a week, so we we have to do that when he's not there. So we really, uh, from what I hear, we used to be the Ritz Carlton till nine years ago when they were sold and, and purchased by Marriott. So um, they used to have eight people in that kitchen when it was the Ritz. Eight, eight, eight pastry. Eight pastry. Okay. Okay. So eight pastry employees. So or ambassadors as we call them, and we. Um, now we're four. And um, yeah, it's a struggle and you really have to know what you're doing and you have to be willing to roll changes that happen. You know, 300 could turn to 325 if they decide they want it to. And then uh-huh. you're making additional everything and you can't say no. And I tell everyone the answer is always yes. Yeah. They come in and ask you, can you do that? Yes. Yeah. You can come to me and cry if you want. <laughs> I have a little back room in the pastry <laughs> department and it, it – you wouldn't be the first person if you cried in there right now, and I'm okay with it. I'm the, I always say pastries in the back of every place I've ever worked, and I always call it the confessional because people come back there and tell me everything. And when they say to me, please tell me you're not going to tell anyone, and I said, no, I'm going to tell everyone. <laughs> I am not your sister or your confidant. I'm working, but if you need to vent, I'm here, but I probably am going to tell somebody what you said to me because the things they tell me, I don't need to know. <laughs> I do not need to know that about you fun to tell them so yeah so not ashamed to admit that i will and i do tell them that this isn't a confessional but if you want to pretend it is but it is the place to come and cry and they know too that that i really do care for most of them you know what i mean and i do want you to feel safe here and i want you to stay i mean i i want that to kind of extend to everybody everybody you know i do want you to feel that i'm i'm a trustworthy person and that if you don't feel safe here with anybody else, at least you got me, you know, and I um, and I do think they feel that way. I've been told that by people, you know, and I, I really think if we could all act that way, the culinary world would be so rough. It's rough. I mean, you know, there's a whole Facebook page, Chefs with Issues right now, and it's oh, val- wow. it's valuable. It's it's highly used by people saying, you know, I'm really on the edge right now. I need some help. You know, talk me down from this. 
today was really rough, this and this happened. And we're there for each other, you know. And I, I think that if we can do that within our corporations or our kitchens, we won't need a page like that. Well, this seems like the culinary industry, especially for chefs, um, there's long hours. There's there's poor work-life balance. Mm-hmm. The pay isn't as – I mean for the, for the amount of work and the amount of um, uh, effort that is put, put into every – Every dish, yes. Um, the, the the pay isn't high enough. Um, it, it, it makes sense that this, these that this is necessary as mm-hmm. as as an avenue for people to um, to vent, right? And and further, you know, you talk about kindness, um, and this is I think this is your point too, is that there's been a lot of toxic masculinity in the industry always for ever. Exactly. Towards each other, too. It's not uh-huh. just like towards the women they work with, although that is prevalent. And I've never not had it at a business um, outside of Stacy Cakes where it was all women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even there, you know, you just get women who aren't used to being around women. You know, I grew mm-hmm. up with five sisters. I'm the youngest of six girls. So I'm used to probably every kind of woman that can be because we are very different. And so um, I was fine. I mean, I'm fine with that, even when I could tell it wasn't, a, you know, we weren't in love with each other as girlfriends. Mm-hmm. We we could get along with each other. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I just I think that the toxic masculinity is is real, and um, I've experienced it everywhere but that one situation. I mean, everywhere. It's just you know, some people don't know how to don't know how to be gentlemen. They don't know how to work professionally. I mean, and it comes from women too. I shouldn't even say that. It comes from women too. Women who are envious of what you're doing, but not willing to do the work to get there. They'd like to be there. But they don't want to do the work. They're calling in. They don't want to go to school. They'll say, you know, I didn't go to school. I know you're holding that against me. Never. Not in a million years. If you come in here and work, man, I'd love to teach you, you know, and guaranteed you'll teach me too. Yeah. Are you always looking for pe- – like you have a staff of four right now. Is that mm-hmm. is that your – We are looking for someone right now with um, Ahmed being gone. And, you know, he is 72, so we don't know that he'll come back. I always say, oh, no, you know, I was worried when he goes that he won't come back because, okay. you know, it, it, that's just a real a, a real possibility. So um, I am looking right now for one more staff member, um, you know, and obviously they need to be kind of in that same mindset of wanting to learn, wanting to teach, and um, just kind of having a hold of your ego. <laughs> do you have difficulty hiring people? Um, not really. No. Okay. No, not really. When I hired Amy, I hired another uh, young woman too, but she has since learned every single station in the kitchen, and it's kind of hard to let her go. In, in, in Tria on the on the hotline, she came in and in no time at all was training other people. She's amazing. So I'll never get her. <laughs> I'll never get her back. <laughs> um, she's never coming back to me. She her skill set has tripled in in no time in like six months. So. Um, you know, you just have that kind of wonderful person sometimes who comes in and even though they love pastry, they also know everything else right now. So she's not coming back to me. So as someone who does the hiring and we have an industry notorious for having difficulty hiring people, mm-hmm. how, how what are some tactics that you use to hire the right people? Um, networking is important. OK. Um, I don't. I, I think not hiring just by um, some random person who applies. Um, I actually reach out to all the chefs I know and say, do you know anyone who's looking right now? Or chefs that have confided to me that they're not super happy where they are. Um, you know, what are the chances you'd consider a move, you know? Or do you know someone who works for you who maybe would like to move up but can't because maybe there are only two of you in your department and you're not going anywhere and they'd like to learn a little, a little bit more, maybe make a little bit more money. I mean, hotels are, are better for that, for, for better pay, uh-huh. you know? And we're not worried about in downtown 
you know, where am I going to park? You know, I mean, we we have a cafe that feeds you all day long. You know, there's no no charge to park. Um, you know, we're in a beautiful hotel. There's lots of room for growth and experimentation. So, I mean, I feel like it's a wonderful kitchen to be in. Yeah. So I think getting that out there. I mean, that's how you find people, not just by that random. I feel like that's a shot in the dark right now, just putting out an ad for people. You never know who you're going to get. But if I know you or I know your last boss and he recommends you, the interview can be – that process can be real quick. Yeah. (laughs) And then so what's the onboard – once you hire someone, what's the training process look like? Well, you start working with me right away, but you also then we have a formal orientation process. I mean, you, you get your uniform, you get it, you know, embroidered with your name. We want you to stay. We want you to come and stay. And most of the people have. Everyone I've hired has stayed. So um, for this whole time, I mean, nearly a year now. Stay, stayed meaning like stayed with uh, like, me and employed and employed. And yes. they want. And then you, when you want them to stay, you want them to have a career there. I would like it. I okay. mean, I would like. Quite frankly, I just want them to stay as long as I do because whether that's a year or ten <laughs> years, I love them. And if they uh-huh. leave, I was. I think I tell them every day, I'm so grateful for you because I couldn't do this today. And they definitely get a thank you at the end of their shift. Thank you for everything you did today because I couldn't do it. I mean, I'm one person. I always say I'm good, but I'm not magic. So, you know, I need you. Definitely need you. Now, th- these words, they-, they seem kind of out of the the gratefulness and all of the content, the feeling content and, um, yeah. are outside of the norm. And I feel like this comes from A, being a teacher mm-hmm. and also B, being a mother. Yes, mm-hmm. okay. for sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, because I do care about them and they're, uh, you know, some of them are younger, two of them are older. But I mean, I do. I I genuinely care about them and I want them to be happy. And if I thought that even my precious Amy had to leave, I would support her. (laughs) Uh You know, I would. I mean, if she found something that was better for her, then she should go. And actually, I got that from Dave Garris, my my boss at Quality, who said, I want you to stay. But if you find something better, I wouldn't blame you if you went. And that was beautiful. Well, that. That oftentimes shines brighter on you as as the teacher and the mentor than it does to yeah. keep hold on to someone mm-hmm. who might not be happy anymore. Right, exactly. If this is stifling you or you don't feel good here in any way, then you should move. You should. <laughs> uh, and then so – one one final question about the the the, the weddings there because you said six hundred person mm-hmm. wedding right yeah so do do pe- do these couples the, the the couple getting married do they sit down with you and, and develop a dessert menu like or do you have any input on what goes on their dessert menu how does it work um, well we have a sales team we have okay. a very big sales team and they are broken up between like the size of the wedding or corporate events and things like that so we have people are specializing in selling a certain something okay so if you say you have a 600 person wedding there's someone specifically who will talk to you they know what i can do they know that i'm open to new ideas which we do a lot now uh-huh. now that they know that i'm able you know it took a few months before they realized what i can do because they haven't had a pastry chef in six years in this department so they were flailing a little bit and a lot of standard things were being put out so you know honestly i think the sweet tables were going were going away and they were bringing in outside stuff well that's not happening now Ah, as much and and that's really what they needed was someone to take the helm and say let's make everything more beautiful higher quality we're doing all our own chocolate work now so you know we can just you know we can specialize in whatever you need your flavors your your ethnicity your allergies whatever it is i want to make your wedding and we had this talk recently Every wedding should be different in some way. We should not be cookie cutter anything here. You know, this is the Henry. We should be beautiful and special, and I think we are. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So where can people learn more about the Henry and Tria? Um, well, you can go online and look up either of those: Facebook, Instagram, or or just uh, you know at 
you know, the Henry.com. Henry.com. Mm-hmm. Or Tria. Right. Trade.com too. Well, best of luck. Thanks for being with me tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Until next time, dine well, friends.